Our great God, the giver of good gifts, both spiritual and physical, I thank you, Father, through this prayer for this opportunity to study the Bible, to teach the Bible, Father. I pray that as we look into the parables of Jesus, that we will continue to glean from these parables the appropriate lessons that will encourage us and make us more like Jesus. Father, I continue to be mindful of the brethren, both at Monte Vista and around the country and globe who are sick and discouraged and going through difficult times. I pray that your hand of blessing be upon them. Thank you, Father, for your word that encourages us and lift, lifts us up. And I pray that you will be glorified in our study. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning, dear friends. Good morning. I would like to begin this study this morning by asking you, have you ever heard of somebody? Have you ever heard of a man by the name of Jimmy Johnson? You ever heard of Jimmy Johnson? Jimmy Johnson was the head football coach for both the University of Miami and of the Dallas Cowboys. He actually won championships with both teams. He won a championship when he was head coach of the University of Miami and he won Super Bowls when he was the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys. He is one of only two coaches in the history of football to win championships at both the college level and the professional level. He was a really good football coach. In fact, when asked by a network magazine show about what his greatest accomplishment was in life, he confessed that in his opinion, his greatest accomplishment in life was winning, was winning those football championships. It was winning the college national championship when he was head coach of the University of Miami, and it was when he won Super Bowls with the Dallas Cowboys. According to Jimmy Johnson, those were the biggest accomplishments he says he's ever, he's ever gained in life. And I will confess that in most people's eyes, especially in most people's eyes in our society, those accomplishments are certainly huge accomplishments. They're certainly big deals in the minds of most people. The question is, should those kinds of things, should football championships be the most important accomplishments in a person's life? Should that be the greatest thing that a person gains and accomplishes in their life? What if the same question was posed to you? What if somebody asked you, what is your greatest accomplishment in life? What is your greatest accomplishment in life? If somebody asked you that question, I'm curious to know how you will respond to it. What is your greatest accomplishment in life? Is it your education? Is it 
the number of degrees you have, the fact that you've gained a bachelor's or a master's or maybe even a PhD. Is your education your greatest accomplishment in life or is it your career? Is it the fact that you've been able to move up the ladder on your job and now you're one of the top guys at your company? You're one of the top women at your company. You started a business and your business is very successful. Maybe you're the CEO, the vice president, or the president of your company. Is that your greatest accomplishment? Is your greatest accomplishment your family? Is it the fact that you've been married for 40 or 50 years or the fact that you have raised, successfully raised three or four children? Is it the money you have in the bank? Is it your retirement portfolio? Is it the fact that you've been able to save a lot of money over the last few decades through hard work? Is that your biggest accomplishment in life? What is your biggest, biggest accomplishment in life? What is the main thing that you are most proud of that you've done in your life? As you think about that, I want you to go in your Bible to Luke, the 12th chapter. Please go in your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Our study this morning, as we consider another parable from Jesus, it's going to be from Luke, the 12th chapter. This is actually the ninth lesson in a 12-lesson series. This is the ninth lesson in our series of lessons about the parables of Jesus. In Luke, the 12th chapter, Beginning with verse number 13, Jesus tells a very interesting parable. He actually tells a parable that is designed to help give us a, a full perspective of life. He tells a parable that is designed to help us see what life is all about. A parable that is designed to help us understand what really matters most in life. Look at the parable with me. Luke, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse number 13. Verse 13 says this, someone in the crowd, someone in the crowd said to him, this is a crowd of people that the Lord is teaching. They said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he, Jesus said to him, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to him, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Verse 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man 
who stores up treasure for himself and is not, is not rich toward God. Let this parable settle in your heart and your mind for just a moment. Ladies and gentlemen, this parable, parable right here is commonly referred to as the parable of the rich fool. The parable of the wealthy or the rich fool, the background for the parable is actually given to us in verses 13 through 15. Go back to the text and look carefully, please, at verses 13 through 15. Do you see those verses? Notice how the backdrop or the setting for the parable is giving, given in those verses. Here in those verses we see that this parable, the parable of the rich fool, was actually provoked by a question from a man and a crowd of people that Jesus was teaching. Jesus was teaching a crowd of people like he commonly did at this time. And there was a man in the crowd. There was a man in the crowd who asked Jesus to do something for him. There was a man in the crowd who wanted Jesus to intervene and settle a dispute, a family dispute between he and his brother. You see, evidently, these brothers, their father, the father of these brothers had died. The brothers had a difficult time dividing up the inheritance. There's a legal dispute going on between two brothers. Maybe you have seen that before in your own life. Maybe you have seen uh, someone have a wealthy parent. Some people have a wealthy parent and that parent dies and the children, they, they have a, a dispute. They have conflict when it comes to trying to divide up the inheritance. That's what's going on here. No details, no exact details are given concerning the nature of their problem. It is important to understand that the law of Moses, the law of God that was in force at this time, it did give clear instructions regarding how an estate was to be divided between the heirs. That's found in the law of Moses. It might be, and this is just speculation, it might be, that this is the younger son talking to Jesus, and he's unhappy because he felt his inheritance was too little. He felt that he didn't get enough, or it might be that this is the older brother who's unhappy because he hadn't received what he was owed. He hadn't received the majority of the inheritance that he was supposed to get as the older. We don't know exactly the details concerning the nature of this particular problem, what we do know, my dear friends, is we do know how the Lord responded to it. Luke may not give us the exact details concerning the problem between these brothers in this estate. What we do know for sure is how the Lord responded to their request for help. Notice verse 14. In verse 14, when this man, when this man said, tell my brother, to divide the family inheritance with me. When this brother said that, Jesus responded in this way. Jesus says, man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you. Translation, this has nothing to do with me. This is not my business. This is not my work. This is not part of my mission. I am not someone who is in a courtroom 
who came to the earth to be in a courtroom to settle a legal matter between brothers. That is not why I came to the earth. I did not leave the glories of heaven to come and settle family disputes when it comes to inheritances. I didn't leave heaven where I was in the perfect presence of my father to come to this earth to settle issues like this. In Luke 19 and verse 10, Jesus says that he did not come into the world to be a judge or an arbitrator over legal disputes. Instead, he said that he had come to seek and to save the lost. He had come to teach the gospel. He had come to save, to save lost people. He had come to give his life on a cross and be raised from the dead so that every person can have a chance to be saved. That is why the Lord came to the earth. That was his mission. And what this man is asking him to do doesn't fall in line with that mission. It doesn't fall in line with that work. It doesn't fall in line with the Lord's main focus. The Lord says, essentially, this is not why I came here. I, I didn't come here to be a judge or an arbitrator over legal matters. He doesn't stop there because in verse 15, in case you thought the Lord's words are harsh here, and the Lord is just totally being apathetic, consider verse 15. In verse 15, Jesus said to them, and now he's speaking to the crowd. He says, after he tells this man, I didn't come essentially to be a judge or an arbitrator. He says, beware. And be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance, does his life consist of his possessions. Notice how while the Lord chooses not to get involved and intervene in this dispute between these two brothers, he does reveal, he does reveal something very important. Here in verse 15, he does reveal the source of this man's question. You see, the source of this man's question in verse 13 was greed. It was greed. In verse 15, Jesus is saying this to let us know that greed, greed was the source of this, uh, of this request. Greed was the motivation for this request, not justice. Jesus is letting us know something about this man. He's letting us know that this man's life, this man's heart his mind was was centered on money it was centered or revolved around stuff this is not about justice jesus said this is about greed remember jesus knows people's hearts doesn't he oh yes jesus knows the lord's hearts he knew or he knew he knows men's hearts he knew the hearts of men the lord knew the hearts of men when he was on this earth he knows the hearts of men right now as he sits at the right hand of God. The Lord here while he is on the earth, he's able to read the hearts of men. He knows this man's heart and he knows where his question is really coming from. His question is really coming from a, from a heart of greed. The source was greed. This man has a covetous and greedy heart 
That's why he asked this question. That's why he wants the Lord to intervene. And that's why the Lord is going to tell this parable, the parable of the rich fool. And so now that we've considered the backdrop or the setting for the parable, let's look at the parable itself. Jesus is using this opportunity to teach a lesson about, about greed and the folly of having a greedy heart. And so look at what he says. First, notice how Jesus in verse 16, he, he talks about a man. He talks about a man who evidently was a very successful man. He was a very successful man. He was a rich man. He seemed to have been someone like Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos or Warren Buffett. He's a very successful entrepreneur. He's a very successful businessman. He's enjoying great increase in his business venture. He's very successful by the standards of the world, and as far as his profession goes, it appears, based on what the Lord is saying here, that this man was a farmer. He's a successful farmer. He is a farmer who is enjoying a great harvest. In fact, his harvest is so great that he says in verses 17 through 18 that he had to build bigger barns. I mean, he had so much prosperity. He had so much, so much wealth, so much abundance that he doesn't have enough room to put all his blessings. He's got to build bigger barns. He's got to make a bigger, find bigger storage, more storage for his wealth. In verse 17, he began reasoning to himself. After looking at all his wealth, he reasons to himself saying, what shall I do? What a terrible problem to have, right? What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, I, I wish I had this problem, don't you? This man's got so much, he doesn't have anywhere to put it all. Then he says, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I'm going to build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. This is a very successful man. This man is enjoying increase in his business venture. He has a lot of financial prosperity. In fact, not only does he have financial prosperity, not only is he a successful farmer or a successful businessman, but because of this financial increase. Verse 19 says he was able to have a life of ease. Do you see that? He has ease. After he builds his bigger barns, he says, I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up, for many years to come, eat, drink, and be merry. That's what he says. You see, in this man's mind, he doesn't have a care in the world. He, in his mind, he has complete security. His future is set. His life is perfect. He's so successful that now all he has to do is just kick back, kick back and relax. 
and just be happy the rest of his life. That's what he says. And can we be honest about something, my dear friends? Who doesn't want that? Who doesn't want that? I mean, isn't that exactly the mentality of most Americans? Isn't that what the American dream is all about? To be able to get a job or start a business, make a lot of money, work on that job for several years, save your money, buy a nice house, buy nice cars, save up for retirement. And then when you reach a certain age, when you reach a certain point in life, you can just kick back, relax, and, and just go play golf. Go visit your grandkids. Go just kick back and do whatever you want because, hey, you worked hard and, and your life is set. Now you can just do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about financial stuff anymore. I mean, isn't that what most Americans want? Of course it is. Of course it is. Most Americans especially want financial security. They want to be able to get to a point in life where they can be at ease and relax and not have a care in the world. And this man has that. He's achieved the American dream. He's a successful businessman. He has a lot of money, a lot of stuff, a lot of crops, a lot of goods. He has financial security, but unfortunately, he didn't have spiritual security. He's got the financial security, and there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with having financial security. There are a lot of servants in the Bible who enjoy that. The problem with this man is he didn't have the most important kind of security, and that was spiritual security. He didn't have heavenly security. He also didn't have a sense of the brevity of life. He didn't have a sense of the concept that our lives are just a vapor that appear for a little while and then vanish away. He didn't have a sense of the reality that he could die at any moment. And if he didn't have a relationship with God, it didn't matter how much money and stuff he had, he was going to be in big trouble in the next life. This man didn't have spiritual security. He didn't have a sense of the brevity of life. In fact, going back to the text, on the very night in which he declared that he had, he had reached the highest point in life where he had financial peace and financial security and he was making plans for the future, on the very night when he was doing that kind of stuff, he died. He died and God called him a fool. God called him a fool, not because he had financial success. No, God called him a fool because on the day that he died, he wasn't ready to die. He wasn't prepared to die. He wasn't prepared to die because he didn't have spiritual security. He didn't have a relationship with God. He was rich and wealthy by the standards of the world. But he wasn't rich towards God. He wasn't rich toward God. That's what Jesus says in verse number 21. And then over in Matthew chapter 6. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus has some things to say about spiritual security. 
He has some things to say about what makes a man rich in the eyes of God. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse number 19, in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19, Jesus says, Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth. And when Jesus says that, he's not saying it's wrong to have wealth. This is elliptical language where certain words are being left out for the sake of emphasis. The idea here is do not merely store treasures on earth. That's the concept. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in or steal, but store up for yourselves. That is, in addition, don't neglect to do this. Don't neglect to store for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal for where your treasure is that your heart will be also. Nothing wrong with storing up earthly treasures. That's not a sin. Many servants of God had material wealth. But Jesus says don't get so focused on that that you neglect the spiritual wealth. Don't get so focused on material or earthly treasures that you neglect to do what it takes to be rich towards God. Don't fail to trust God, study his word and pray and use your wealth to do good works in this life. That's what the Lord is saying. That's why this man is a rich fool back in Luke, the 12th chapter. This man was wealthy by the standards of the world when he died, on the day he died, he learned from the Lord himself that he was not rich towards God. He wasn't rich towards God because he didn't have a relationship with God. Now, let me give you a few lessons to consider from this parable very quickly. First, let me say that one of the main lessons that the Lord wants us to appreciate from this parable, at least from my understanding, is we should not put our trust in earthly riches. We should not put our trust in our earthly accomplishments. And don't misunderstand, there's nothing wrong with having earthly riches. I want to say that again. There's nothing wrong with working hard and saving your money and buying a nice house and having a nice car and having nice clothes and having jewelry. There's nothing wrong with saving for retirement. There's something wrong with trying to get to a point in life where you can kick back and, and enjoy your, your money and your possessions because you've worked hard in your life. There is absolutely nothing wrong about, about those things. The Lord never speaks against that. The apostles never speak against that. There's nothing wrong with having earthly riches, but from this parable we learn that we certainly shouldn't put our trust in our earthly riches. We certainly shouldn't put our trust and our, and our focus on our earthly accomplishments. We shouldn't do that because the fact of the matter is our earthly accomplishments and our earthly riches, riches will do us no good in the next life. They're not going to do us any good in the next life. We can't take any of our money with us when we die. When's the last time you've seen a U-Haul attached to a hearse? Can't take any of it with us when we die. Can't take our house with us. Can't take our jewelry, our money, our stocks, our bonds, whatever. None of that stuff goes with us when we die. All of it stays here for other people to divide up and squander and fight over. 
The only thing that's going to go with us out of this life is our souls. The only thing that really means anything when we exit out of this life is whether or not we serve God. Whether or not we had a relationship with God. Whether or not we used the limited amount of time we had on this earth to do the will of God. That is the only thing that's going to matter when we die. And unfortunately, this rich fool, he had to learn that the hard way, didn't he? He had to learn that the hard way. He put his trust in his earthly riches, and he did not put his trust in God. He did not put God at the center of his life. He put his stuff at the center of his life. He was a greedy man, and because of that, he was lost. He wasn't prepared to die. God himself, God himself called this man a fool. And so one of the main lessons to take away is don't put your trust in earthly riches. And then secondly, prepare for what's to come. Prepare for the inevitable. This rich fool, he certainly didn't do that. He didn't prepare for the inevitable. He didn't prepare for death. James, the fourth chapter, in James chapter 4, James 4 and verse 13, James says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Notice, this is talking about the person who's making plans, plans for the future. That's what the rich fool did in Luke 12. Remember, he made plans for the future. Nothing wrong with that necessarily. Nothing wrong with being a planner. I'm a planner. But let's be mindful of verse 14 while we plan. He says, yet you do not know who. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. Now, this language in verse verse number 15, this language in verse 15 that admonishes us, to say, if it's the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. That verse is not designed to encourage us to use this language, if it's the Lord's will, as some sort of good luck charm. Now, a lot of folks do that, but that's not the point. Verse 15 is not saying, say this, and it's going to be a good luck charm for you. No, there's a principle being taught in verse 15. The principle is, is as, as you walk up through in your life, as you go through life, understand that life is uncertain. Every moment is uncertain. The next 10 minutes are uncertain. Tomorrow is uncertain. Next month, next year is all uncertain. I mean, if we've learned that principle at any time in our lives, it's been this year. Who would have thought this time last year that we will be dealing with the stuff we're dealing with this year. I mean, I don't know about you, but this time last year, I was making all kind of plans, and the coronavirus was not in any of them. Having to wear a mask everywhere I go, everywhere I went, that wasn't in my plans this time last year. Dealing with a national, a global pandemic wasn't in my plans when I was making plans last year. All this race stuff we're dealing with in our country. 
all these riots we're dealing with in our country. None of that stuff even popped in my mind last year when I was thinking about what 2020 was going to be like. We've learned this year firsthand that life is uncertain. It's all about the Lord wills. We don't know what's going to happen next year, next month, next week, or even in the next 10 minutes. We might not be alive in the next few minutes. We may not be alive tomorrow or next week. We may not be alive this time next year. We do not know. Life is uncertain. We could die at any moment. In the case of the rich fool, death came for him during a time when he didn't expect it to. He was making plans. He was making plans about his future, and then death came for him. He died at an unexpected time. He wasn't prepared to die, and because he wasn't prepared to die, when he died, he was lost. He was eternally lost. The Lord called him a fool because he didn't prepare to die. He foolishly thought that tomorrow was guaranteed. You see, well, there's nothing wrong with enjoying your life. Nothing wrong with that. And while there's nothing wrong making plans, nothing wrong with that, but always remember that tomorrow is not, it's not granted. It's not guaranteed. It doesn't matter how young you may be. You could die at any moment. The Lord could come back at any moment. And if you don't have a relationship with him, you're going to be a fool. Just like him, according to what God said. Prepare for what's to come. Make sure you're ready at all times to die. Learn from the folly of the rich fool and prepare to die by putting God at the center of your life. Put God at the center of your life. Listen to Solomon, Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 15. The conclusion when all has been heard, the whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. Translation, put God at the center of your life. Put serving God at the center of your life while you pursue education, a good job, and making a lot of money. Make sure God is, is at the center, the foundation of your life. Put, have your relationship with God as the top priority in your life. That's the main thing I want you to understand. That's the main thing I want you to remember. The rich fool did not put God at the center of his life, and ultimately that's why he was lost. He wasn't lost because he was a smart businessman. Instead, he was lost because he forgot about God. He failed to put God at the center of his life. And when he died, when he died, he didn't end up with God for eternity. And so going back to our first question, what is the greatest accomplishment, your greatest accomplishment in life? I hope. That as you've been thinking about that, you can honestly say that the greatest accomplishment of your life, the thing you are most proudest of in life, is the fact that you serve God. You may not be perfect. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But you serve God. You love God. You're doing your best to know him and study his word and teach your kids to know God. You're doing your best to put him at the center of your life. That is what you're doing. Right now, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor by the standards of the world, you're rich towards God. 
and being rich towards God, that's what's going to get you to heaven. And so put God at the center of your life. That's what this lesson is all about. That's what that parable is all about. And I appreciate you studying with me. God bless you. Hope you'll tune in Wednesday as we'll continue with this series with our 10th lesson. We're getting ready to wrap this series up very soon. I've certainly enjoyed it, and I appreciate you staying with me. God bless you, and God keep you.